Women who've learned to be their own worst enemies. We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Fundwise Capital. Fundwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals. Connect with Fundwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Things are going wrong all over the place technically here today, live television. Anyway, great to be with you. Uh, thanks for coming. We're going to be talking about healthy body image today. Uh, and mostly from the women's perspective. But I have to say, I don't think it's necessarily um, exclusive to women. Thinking about this the other day because uh, it was Jimmy Page's birthday, and being an old guy, <laughs> I've seen a lot of changes in the world. But when I was a young man, muscle guys, nobody had six pack abs, nobody had perfect bodies then. And uh, I was just looking at some of the pictures of some of my heroes from my childhood, men, role models, people who I wanted to be like, and they were um, not the image of a healthy body or or what we kind of aspire to in society today now at this point i'm beyond repair <laughs> uh, so it really doesn't matter but so i'm not sure this is necessarily a uh women's issue or exclusive to women but we'll find out about it erica mather is a lifelong teacher who has struggled with emotional overeating compulsive over exercising and body dysmorphic disorder as an embodiment ed educator she guides people to feel better in and about their bodies ladies and gentlemen please open your ears open your minds and help me welcome in erica mather to the mind dog tv podcast Elko, erica welcome 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 thank you thank you i'm so happy to be here it, it, I'm, it's my pleasure to have you to be here am i wrong about this idea that it's uh this um healthy body uh healthy body image um thing that we're talking about is not necessarily exclusive to women do you agree or disagree 100% agree i agree i agree uh and um in fact Matt, I love talking to men about this. I love it. I think that men are so uh, insightful and, uh, yeah, I know, insightful <laughs> and funny. And uh, not me. <laughs> no, 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 even what you said, I'm beyond repair. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like a, a, the way a man relates to their body is very different, I think, from the way a woman relates to their body, but is our body image challenges the soul domain of women. No, not at all. I just, I feel like the conversation is much more acceptable for women because, um, because it doesn't challenge notions of, of femininity or masculinity to engage in it. Whereas I feel like, I mean, even I was talking with, with my fellow about this the other day, cause I, I came up with the title for a great new book that I'm not going to tell you, but it's all about how men feel about their bodies. But we, we were talking about it and he was like, you know, it's just like not very masculine, you know, you just, you know, to talk about it, you know? So I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. You know, how it has changed over years though, because as I mentioned, I'm, I'm kind of an old dude, but back in when I grew up, there was 
nobody went to the gym. Nobody was muscle muscular. No, you know, gyms weren't a thing until probably the mid seventies. Arnold Schwarzenegger brought uh, popularity to it, you know, with men especially, and then women followed, you know, soon after that, becoming gym rats. And now everybody in America is a gym rat. So let's let's start with what can you define what healthy body image means? Well, let me first talk about body image. So I think of body image as the the relationship that you build with yourself, with your body specifically, that then you project out in the world. So it has this sort of image means like there's some visual component to it. So you like make a mental image of your own relationship and then you project it out in the world. That's kind of how I just define it. A more clinical definition is how you think about it, how you feel about it, how you talk about it and how you behave about it. So these these four components to body image that then uh, combine to create your body image and put it out into the world. So what is a healthy body image? That's a great question. And I think that a healthy body image is a very, very like personal thing. It's like what works for you, what makes you feel good in your body, about your body, uh, in relationship with other people around your body, because we can't just be like, well, I'm just going to take my personality with me, but leave my body at home, right? <laughs> you, your body is the thing that carries you in every relationship, in every interaction. So it's also how do, do you feel healthy in those interactions with other people? And that I think is a very, very personal thing. And as a, as a coach in this regard, I have discovered that you know, people have very particular entry points into making their body image healthy. People have very individualized paths towards it. And people have very different outcomes that they want, right? So it's, it's a very personal thing, like everything with regards to your body, very personal. You know what? We spend a lot of time talking about mental health, but as you're talking, it just occurs to me that so much of uh, so much of our problems interacting and whether, you know, the idea of how we see ourselves and, and our body image and how we feel about who we are physically in the world can be a limiting or empowering thing, depending on your perspective on what, what how you feel about yourself. But a lot of our mental health issues are tied to all of this and how we how we confidence, how we deal with people in, in society and all that kind of stuff. So much of our lives is uh, tied to this body image thing, but we never really uh, conversation. I've never had, this is the first time I've ever had somebody on talk about this. And you just told me what I've been telling other people. And we've talked for eight and a half minutes, not even, you know, <laughs> you're a very smart dude. You know, yeah, it, it affects everything. And actually, I'm running a program uh, in February on on how it affects our the outcomes that we get in our life, how we how it, how our how we feel about our body affects our the outcomes we get at work, in our relationships, in our health. And then also I talk about spirituality because my background is yoga and and yoga does have a spiritual component to it if if it's something you care to engage with. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited that you just got that so fast. And yeah, we don't talk about it, but it it it's it's the it's like this foundational issue that's kind of coursing under everything. Right. I have uh somebody who joins the chat in the um in the morning show often uh, a, a girl and 40 year old, she's not a girl. She's a, a woman, uh, <laughs> but she's all, almost always putting herself down, calling herself fat and, or, or you know, putting down her at least in, in language. Uh, but so, and I think the language we use in the, that kind of stuff, where we see uh, self denigrating humor and that kind of stuff. Um, I think sometimes that, is that necessarily uh, helping things or is that uh, kind of reinforcing those kind of limit, the limiting side of this, you know, most women, a lot of women will, will make it a joke, but underneath that, all this, there's some pain, right? Yeah. And again, I think it depends on where that person is in their personal development and you might be able to hear it right. According sort of like how they use it. Like she may be deflecting criticism that she knows is coming her way by naming it 
first and foremost. Right. Or she may have a, 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 a self-esteem issue that kind of is front and center all the time and affecting kind of everything. And she talks about it all the time, right? Without right. really knowing that it's like seeping out. It could also be like, like in my case, I feel like I've been working on this for long enough that I'm pretty aware of how my physical appearance affects people, you know? So, you know, I could, might say something like, ah, here comes the tall brunette just to boss you all around, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and that could be something to like, to, to, to put out there, like, I'm aware how you might perceive me and I'm comfortable with it actually. But hmm. I think it really kind of like, but, and also to, to, um, to take down the tension around those sorts of stereotypes that sometimes are valid and sometimes are not valid, depending on who is living inside of the body. Right. I think a lot of times what causes people suffering around their body is some kind of like incongruence around how they present physically and who they are as a person. Do you know anybody like that? Yeah. I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Now, uh, I want to show your book and talk about how the, your book helps people um, develop more a more per, uh, positive uh, body image for themselves. The book is called Your Body, Your Best Friend, uh, and it's available at uh, ericamather.com. Link is in the description. It's also scrolling up uh, on the bottom. How, does, how do you address... Um, people actually helping themselves uh, find a better um, body image? Through a lot of detailed work. Um, <laughs> this is a very, this is a very slippery topic, right? Like even you were just like, wow, this affects everything. And I never really thought about it before until this very moment. Right. right. So, um, well, first of all, I just want to say, I love that my book is called your body, your best friend. And the tagline to your show is your mind, your best friend. <laughs> Oh, this was meant to be. Um, so, uh, but actually, interestingly, part of what I work on in the book is how your mind is not your best friend, unfortunately. Sorry. Right. That. Yeah. Um, because so, so let me back up. The book is the book is a how to book. Sorry to sorry to tell you. It's a how to book. And the, and what basically the book does is it identifies mindsets that get in the way of you having this friendly relationship with your body. And kind of what I'm identifying is that a lot of times people have a relationship with their body that is acrimonious, that is um, distant, that some in some instances is even violent. So to really bring people to a relationship with their body that is in the realm of friendly, and so each chapter, at least the four, first four chapters, identify mindsets that I have observed as getting in the way of this project. Do you want me to tell you about some of them? Yeah, sure, please. Okay, so, so the, first, the first chapter is called The Happiness Trap. And basically the mindset is, if I'm pretty or thin or buff or have a full head of hair or whatever, I'll be happy. I've been there. Right. Okay. So this is not just a woman problem. This is also a man. This is also a man problem. So this trap says that when my body is a particular way, I will be happy. This is not true. You may be happy, but you also may not be happy. And it may not be such a bright line. You may be sort of happy, but sort of not happy still. Right. So it identifies this, um, this investment that we make that is a, is a, is a wrong investment of your time and your energy. So the first chapter is the happiness trap. The second chapter is called um, the grass is never greener. And this deals with competition, judgment, comparison, and envy. Women do this all the time. Have you noticed how very, how women are always like, well, she this and she that. And there's a very, it's a, it's actually very, um, it's built in, unfortunately, to the ways that women are trained to not be one another's friends. And so part of this is actually retraining women to be one another's friends. And, and uh, the truth of the matter is the grass is never greener. We know this because you're an old guy and I'm kind of an old girl. Right? We know that the grass is never greener. 
And so what this, what the chapter is, is, is showing you all the ways that the things that we do, comparison, competition, judgment, envy, are a misappropriation of your energy. Because what you think that person has that you want, you actually don't want. Right. So how much of this and the comparison stuff, I think everybody is, uh, I think both sexes have that equally. I th- I think men won't talk about it because if even if I acknowledge that I'm envious or, or threatened or comparing myself to another guy that somehow makes a less less of a man of me in, in some way. <laughs> exactly. And this this you pointed out something very, very important, which is part of the ways that these work is sometimes through not talking about it. And envy actually is, is a very slippery, slippery malaise because to confess to envy is to confess that you think someone is superior to you. Right. And that is a thing a man would never do. No, even we lie about it all the time and, and, and lie subconsciously and consciously to ourselves and to others about it. I no doubt about that. So, uh, but how much of this is driven by culture and, and like what, what society is telling us how we're supposed to be, how, how we're supposed to look to be attractive and all that stuff because people have different tastes. And so you could be a, a beautiful to one man and not attractive to another man. And, uh, you know, as a woman, I'm just saying, or a guy, I guess, but, uh, but so, but society says, no men will tell you, no men only like women who are, you know, five foot four, blue eyed, you know, whatever, perfect bikini body, that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's a lie because every man is different and every man has different tastes. But, you know, I think society has a lot to do with putting those ideas in people's heads and, and reinforcing them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's a means of control for sure. Um, so how much of it is society versus how much it is is personal? And that's actually something I go into the book is I talk about like how much of like, for instance, these first two mindsets I mentioned, the happiness trap and the grass is never greener, how much of this is a societal construct versus how much of it is human. And the fact of the matter is that it's a little column A, a little column B, right? It wouldn't work if humans weren't predisposed to it anyway, which means that we are, it's like a, I call it a foible of the species. The foible of the species is that humans think that they'll be happier if, right? That's a foible of the species. A foible of the species is that we are sort of designed to be comparative. We are designed to come compete with one another. So it is a little bit of a foible of the species. But um, what I've learned specifically to your point, like that, that women are taught that this is the thing that a man is going to like. And we're talking very heteronormative uh Uh, metrics of attraction right now. I just want to like acknowledge that, right? We're talking heteronormative standards of attraction, which there are many, 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 many different standards of attraction. But in this regard, this is what we're talking about. And I have learned from talking with men and from being a heteronormative person that men like women of all sizes and shapes and colors, and they just like women. They like women. And so it is a lie, actually, that women have been fed that when I talk with women, I'm like, but did he like you? And the answer is like, well, yeah, he liked me. And then women have been programmed so long, so deeply. One of my one of my clients even says like, yeah, but then if I think but if he likes me, there must be something wrong with him. I was like, oh, damn, that is deep. That is deep. Instead of looking at the reality like, he likes you. Let's work on that data alone. You want a guy who likes you to move forward with, not a guy who likes some fantasy to move forward with. So I can relate to that, that too, because when I was young, when I was real young, I, I did that thought never entered my mind, but as I reached and and I was single again in my thirties, I got divorced and was single again. And I got that idea that any woman who was really into me, she must have something really, she must be really broken uh, and just find out what's wrong with her. (laughs) And you invented that all on your own, huh? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> no, but I, I can definitely relate relate to that. I want to talk about a stereotype because this has come up on several uh, episodes and mostly dealing with business, but this is kind of a reverse stereotype. In, in other words, the stereotype would be all short women are this. Uh, and and that's not, not what I'm saying. I'm saying all women who are uh, high-powered executives uh most of the most of and i've worked for many uh i've had many careers in my life and worked had many women bosses high-powered executives and they're all four foot three uh four foot nine in high heels uh but this idea of the 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 diminutive woman being very um aggressive uh powerful and and needing to prove something so is height uh, a part of this body image, and is it? Am I onto something with with that observation? That because every woman boss I've had who's been like a senior vice president level or so, all of them are this big, but mean as can be, and like uh, really tough. Is is that uh, does that match with your experience? And is that part of this conversation? I mean, well, there's there's a few layers to it. One is. Uh, I have observed that women who are shorter are more often treated like children. That's true. Right. So, so a woman's experience of how people treat her when she's shorter is that they, they are more often infantilized. And so I could imagine that after years and years and years of being infantilized because you are have this the height of a child, though you are a grown person, you may overcompensate for that right. in other ways. And I also just want to say that that um, for many, 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 many years, women have been fighting to for equality. And equality was based on similarity. So the traits that were rewarded in the business world were masculine traits, right? So, so for a woman to become more hard-nosed than a man, more tough than a man, I mean, every woman knows that in order to get ahead, you got to be twice as much of that in the business world than the men themselves, right? So you know, how does, how does height and then, you know, how that plays out in the business world go hand in hand. I think there's also like an element of, of, of striving for equal rights. And I hope that now we're at a place in this recovery, you know, recovery from centuries and centuries of oppression of women, that we could come to a place in this recovery as men and women to acknowledge that different can also be equal right that that we don't have to have parity in order to be equal a woman doesn't have to behave like a man to be equal that a woman could be a woman and still be equal but that's not how history has played out and yeah. certainly certainly especially women- in western culture uh I'm, I'm just trying to think it because I, I can think of some some women leaders of countries, uh, Middle Eastern. I think in Golda Meir, she was kind of a short woman, but she was she was considered a powerful woman in in Israel. <laughs> Just thinking, but I can't think. And queens, there have been queens, right? And I I don't know about uh, body uh, image of 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 the queens who have been powerful women in their day, but uh, that that would be an interesting thing to look at. But I do I have to say though. I had worked for CEO women women CEOs and they were all tall skinny and really demure gentle type motherly nat- nurturing type so it's it's weird those the senior vice president level ones the were drill sergeants and the short little <laughs> angry women and the, the CEOs were, who were the ones who were were because they started their own business. They weren't promoted into CEOs. They, they right. started their own, created their own way. But they seem to be very soft, very feminine, very much, uh, nurturing, motherly types, and uh, all tall and skinny. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I it would be interesting to run a field study project of interviewing those people and just talking to them about how, how, they're, how they are read Right. Because bodies are red, like how they're red and how that's affected their choices in the world, their um, their management style. 
right? Because basically what you're talking about is a management style. Right. I had a friend of mine call me other, the other day. He, he discovered yoga with Adrian and he, he, had a, he had a very burning question, which is he said, do you think that you and Adrian would have had as much success being a yoga instructor if you weren't so pretty? And I said, no, <laughs> like I am very well aware that part of my success doing what I do is because I'm pretty. Really? You know? Absolutely. I, I, well, I've never taken yoga, but I, I, I can't. Are your students all women or men? Well, the demographics of yoga students is 85% women. Right. So women, that's what I was thinking. So women will uh, prefer to have a woman teacher, a pretty teacher when it comes to uh, something physical like that. Uh, it's a preference or a need. I think that because there's a very there's a very visual aspect to it, it's nice to have your person being pleasing to the eye. But also because of this this comparative thing, I think that women want to know that the woman that okay. they're listening to might actually help them on their own quest to like being slim or being pretty or being whatever. Right. Right? You, you don't go to a fitness instructor who looks ugly and out of shape. I'm sorry. I'm just like being very blunt and very brutal. I actually know one. And I, I questioned it all the time because a guy who was a physical trainer and he had a, you know, a beer belly, but he's not a beer drinker, but a, a shape like a beer belly. But he, I know he's a physical trainer. And every time I see him uh, kind of promoting his his physical training, I, I, I question it in the back of my mind. I've never come out and say, how can a guy like you be a physical trainer? I can't imagine me doing the sit-ups and you telling me to keep going and I'm looking at your chubby belly every time I'm doing another one thinking, <laughs> why aren't you doing with me? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because, because also then I, I, you know, the emphasis of, of my teaching in many ways is that is that it's more important who you are, what you do, how you act than what you look like. Right. And so the truth of the matter is that I'm also an, a very, very good teacher. Right. So, so I feel like eventually people, they, they discover, Oh, she's a really good teacher. Some people want to dismiss me out of hand because I'm pretty, they don't even bother to find out whether I'm a good teacher. Right. Wow. But it's, it's a very interesting bias and it is a bias because you know what? I bet that guy, I bet that fitness trainer is probably a very good trainer. Like he's got something that gets you to do the thing and get the results that you want. So let's talk a second about, because this came up last week and it came up in a very absurd way. And it, it was a male thing, but it applies to women. Absolutely. Is this idea of fitness versus health. Now being, being fit, doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy, but we're told that mind-body connection, it's important uh, It's important to be healthy, have a healthy body, to have a healthy emotional and, and spiritual and mental uh, state of mind. So, but this idea that we, we think that we define fitness as healthy, and that's not always the case, is it? No. Um... I mean, I think what we're what we're talking about is a classical, a classic kind of like ideal of fitness, which is more modern, right? Like you were saying, your role models, they never went to the gym. They didn't have a six pack. So right. this more modern sort of like it's like basically athletic. Right. right? Is that's can we agree what we're talking about is athletic? Well, yeah, I will give you the, the specifics of the two guys that I was talking about. One was Joe Rogan, who was in a muscle guy and with six pack abs, a, a jujitsu guy. And the other guy was a podcaster, Ethan Klein, who was portly. I mean, there's no other way to, to obese. Uh, and uh, he was kind of uh, just purposely trying to make fun of Joe Rogan saying because Joe Rogan was call, calling himself an health expert and kind of saying that he was healthier and all that stuff. But uh, people came back and, and they were pointing to that. And I said, you can be, I know people who are heavy, overweight, who are more healthy than some people who are muscular and, and athletic looking, but they smoke and they drink and they do drugs and all that kind of stuff. So health doesn't always equate to uh, being athletic or or what we call being in shape. And that I think that's a big part of, uh, you know, when we talk about telling people to get healthy, 
body image being in shape looking athletic does not necessarily mean you're going to be healthy there's a whole other a lot more stuff that goes into it yeah and and you're identifying again a bias that is that that a body that looks athletic must be healthy right and and one of the things that i know from teaching yoga in new york city since 2006 is i've seen a lot a lot a lot a lot of bodies and and bodies have different talents they have different capacities body that sometimes looks like it should be athletic can't do anything you know right. a body that doesn't look like it should be able to do anything can do a lot Right. And so what we define as health, what what you think looks healthy might not be healthy, which is, I think, what you're what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Right? And, and so and this is actually a very difficult reality, I think, for people to um, wrap their minds around. And certainly I have clients who I've worked with for many, many years and and I know that they're eating better. I know that they're moving better. I know that they're thinking better. And their body kind of looks the same, right? right? So so they might be like, I'm not getting any results. But it's like, are you moving better? Do you feel better? Right? Are you eating better? And the answer, if the answer to all those things are yes, then what does it matter if the body doesn't look different? Right. But I think this idea of fitness is what gets people uh, becoming over-exercisers and, and I think become obsessed with over-exercising. Like, I have to look this certain way. Yes. Uh, and then they once it start to see even just minute changes, then it becomes an obsession and things like that and becomes an unhealthy addiction to exercise, right? So uh, and I, I, the point I'm, I guess I'm making is with, with what you teach and with yoga and all this stuff, the whole idea is to get your body into some more um, flexible and, and start getting your, your, your body more conditioned so you're comfortable and all these kind of things. And then once you start doing that, is there a danger of becoming uh, – that? does that lead to more negative uh, body image? Because the more you do it, the more you start to compare yourself to you, who like you're the expert teacher. You've been doing it all your life, and now I'm a beginner, but I'm seeing I'm starting to get changes. Now I'm going to even be more compelled to compare myself to you. Look how good she is, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great question. And certainly, so my background is as an athlete. I was a competitive swimmer. I pulled an oar in college. I rowed. So, so I actually imported a lot of those mindsets into yoga and it took me a while to be like, no, 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 this is the place where you don't do those things. This is the place where you pull those things apart. And so you have to, you have to keep track of it. The point of yoga is not to be competitive or to be comparative. It is for you to get to know yourself. And, and I don't, I don't really know of many better methods uh, for people to come into relationship with their body and, right. and, um, and specifically because it's an, a non outcome oriented activity. Certainly there are accomplishments like postural accomplishments that people want and they pursue. I have accomplishments I like to pursue, but mo mostly it's because I'm interested in the experience of generating those outcomes not right. the outcomes themselves right yeah, it's the journey it's not the destination and, yeah. and i think so many people don't get that i mean everything is about goal and we're taught to be a goal-oriented society and set goals for yourself and it's about getting there and then when you get there that goes back to your first chapter about happiness when i'll be happy when and i think the younger generation, I'm seeing more. Maybe I just didn't notice it when I was young. So to be fair, uh, as I get older, I'm noticing more, especially in young girls. I'll be happy when I graduate high school. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I uh, have my first baby. I'll be happy when this happens. And they just keep that. Every time they set a goal, they find out and they get there and it's a disappointment. It's like nothing has changed. I'm still me. Uh, and now just move the goalpost a little bit further down the road. I'll be happy when. Uh, is that a generational thing or is the younger generation being uh, more of adapting that philosophy of happiness when? <laughs> I mean, I think that the younger generation has forces at work in it that we didn't uh, because they're digital. 
right? So the social media is a very, very strong um, uh, generator, instigator oh. of these sorts of things. So yeah, I think that I think they have it more than we did for sure. And and that's that's a tragedy. I'm I'm not quite sure what the solution is for them. I'll be very frank. You know, yeah. Instagram is is probably because uh, you get we're getting and for men especially we have this this um, to be a, a modern man a, you're not supposed to objectify women. And then we go uh, if you go on any social media, you see uh, uh, women saying. Do you like my hair? Do you like my legs? Do you like my boobs? Do you like my butt? Oh, oh, and it's just one thing. They're objectifying themselves and asking us not to objectify them, but do you like this body part? <laughs> and that's all you see on Instagram. So I got to think that it's unhealthy for men, but it's got to be unhealthy for women too, yeah? Kind of. I mean, I don't mean to make it complicated. I want to acknowledge. I, I want to acknowledge for men that's very confusing. Right. And, and I've had many conversations with my guy friends about this, like, but why? Because it looks like they're inviting. I'm like, no, they're not inviting. Never in human history have women been as free to rejoice in their own bodies as their own property. Yeah. I, 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 I know this can be very hard to, to understand, but that so when you see women doing things like that, on the internet. I think that I think that the frame of reference for men should be like, wow, look at these women ex- feeling free for the first time without the threat of um incarceration or rape or or, or even just being slut-shamed over it, right? I mean, yeah. there were for, you know, even just 20 years ago, if a woman just did that, was taking pictures of herself in a bikini and posting them for, for men to see or for other people to see what men, women, or whatever, she would have probably been uh, called lots of names, including slut, bitch, whatever, whore, all that kind of stuff. All those horrible things. So I want to say, I want to complicate it. I want to present that like perspective if you've never thought of it before. And I also want to say, yes, and I think that because of the forces that are at work because of social media, that it there is also running side by side a little bit of look at me validate me aren't i pretty isn't my body nice don't you want me right yeah. and and so i think that as with all things that we've been talking about it's very personal it's very individual and it's very hard to tell just by looking at the presentation what's happening for that woman or man, what's happening for them behind the scenes? What is going through their mind? Why are they doing it? And so I think that it's very useful just to stop and just be circumspect around that. And and also for, for all of us to check our own reactions, you know? I get that. And I, I definitely understand your point about freedom and, and the ability to do that and to want to feel validated i get we all want to feel validated the part that where it becomes objectifying is what they're focusing on one body part and saying do you like my boobs do you like my hair that's the part where it becomes object object objectification and this because we're supposed to look at you and say you're yes you're a beautiful woman i can say that but if i say wow you got nice boobs all of a sudden i'm objectifying but i and so and i get that and so i never will say that again but it, when you say do i have nice boobs yeah i mean i mean the pivot for that is um i like all of you no matter (laughs) no matter what it looks like like i like all of you but also i i just want to point out like women have been taught to objectify themselves yeah so we've been taught to cut ourselves up uh into little pieces and to put value on them Forever, we've been taught, you know, it's, is your face worth anything? Are your boobs worth anything? Is the service I can provide to you worth anything? Is this child I'm going to have for you worth anything? We have been taught to, to parse ourselves, to weigh ourselves, to measure ourselves, to put value on ourselves. And so when you see that, what you can just think also is like, wow, this, this training for women to objectify themselves and basically say, am I pleasing to you, runs so deep 
runs so deep that even in a time where we are more free than we've ever been, that that the that the the impulse is still to self-objectify. Right. Objectify, objectification is very tricky to get away from. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you are you in the mood for, to get your anger up a little bit? Because there's a I think there's a comment in that in one of the chat rooms I think might kind of upset you, but I think it's sure, like, let's go for it. All right, somebody who, somebody who's handle is women's rights was a mistake just to start off with that's the handle they're going by and okay. said, uh, uh, i'm guessing this is a he if ladies would cover up we wouldn't have to stare mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i've heard that before that you know that that's a very base argument if if men were taught to be respectful, women could wear whatever they wanted. Right. right? That's kind of like it goes back to. I mean, I I'm not, I hate to make an extreme case out of it here, but uh, blaming the victim in a rape case, uh, it's it's no different than that. I mean, what she wears shouldn't make her um, uh, a victim in any way. Uh, and so, but yes, and that is exactly that is exactly the thought process that justifies those sorts of actions. It's like, oh, it's her fault. She was wearing this, that, or the other. No, that was not her fault, right? So, and and I also just want to say that men are very visual, right? Yeah. So, so it's it can be very tricky when someone's wearing something low cut not to take a look. You know? Right. Right? But I, I will also say, having been a, quite a pig in my life, uh, that I would I would obsess on women, even if they're wearing a parker. And uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you mean it doesn't matter. Well, if that's if they all were doing that, I mean, I'm sure in in times gone by in Victorian age and when women were wearing dresses down to the floor and all that stuff, men were still staring at women and still lusting over them i no, I think that's a great point that's a great point yeah i mean it, it is what it is if you're attractive to the opposite sex and it doesn't matter how much especially if all of them are wearing lots of clothes then that's not going to deter you from lusting over them right so uh, well, i think you know i mean men are like i said men are very visual and and you can sort of you can deduce what might be under the parka right you know i i had a boyfriend who once said he was like honey you could go out in a burlap sack and everybody would still know that you got what you got you know it's like okay well that's interesting information thank you Um, (laughs) um how about this idea though uh of by the time a grown woman uh, realizes that she's got body image issues, uh, it, it becomes much harder to deal with. So probably uh, there should be some education on this for young girls at some point to kind of get them talking about this or get them to uh, to understand the issues at a younger age so that they don't become that embedded so that by the time you're an adult, it becomes really hard to change. Hmm. Like when, think- what age does it begin? Does it begin at birth? Puberty? I mean, well, okay, let's put some statistics on this. You know, usually by the age of seven or eight, some, most girls have put themselves on a diet. Wow. It, it can start that early. Yeah. So Holy. I, w- I wish I had more solid numbers than that, but it, it, it can begin at as early as seven or eight that, that those girls have already perceived that, um, that being fat is somehow undesirable. Um, that message is very strong. So, so early intervention. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that more and more parents are, are identifying that their behavior around their body is starting to already entrain their children around their body. So there's a movement, uh, you know, I get a lot of women who are wanting to resolve their issues for the sake of their children, for the sake of their daughters specifically so that they don't have to suffer in the way that they have. That being said, I mean, it would be very interesting to see what kind of early intervention does. Um, Is it going to be enough to counteract the messages from society? I think that's a parenting quandary that every parent is kind of dealing with is like, well, this is what we do at home, but this is what they're getting at school and on the internet and everywhere else. And is what I'm doing at home enough to counteract this? I don't know. 
um, I think, again, that's a parenting quandary. I think that more often than not, um, women possess the self-awareness. Although I got to say, the younger generation, they're very self-aware in ways that I certainly was not. So I don't know if what I'm about to say is is true or valid. But, but I think that there needs to be a certain developmental thing for a woman to really like sift through their issues. The idea that you are going to accept yourself the way you are <laughs> can be a very tough pill to swallow, right? And I think that accepting yourself the way you are has consequences, right? And sometimes people don't want to deal with the consequences of what they are, which is why they're trying to change it. For instance, I'm a tall, busty brunette. There are consequences to being a tall, busty brunette, right? It's like people clock you when you walk in the room as being a certain kind of person. Huh. Right? And and that's a thing. Um I okay. I I I would think it's a positive thing. <laughs> it depends. It depends on who's in the room. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the, all, all, of course times have changed, but in the old days, um, that description would generally mean bimbo. Um, you would think because she has big, big boobs, she probably has no brains. That, that was part of, um, the assumption Anyway, we, I, as however that came to be, I, I don't know. I'm sure uh, men had mothers with big boobs and they didn't think they were stupid. I'm sure they did. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Hollywood and the media for giving us that. Particular yeah, yeah, yeah. For giving us that. So I want to bring up the book again because the question I have for you is now, uh, it's a how-to book, as you mentioned, but um, did you share some of your own personal struggles with this and is that important is that necessarily important to to share those and know for the reader to understand what you went through in in coming to the conclusions that you come to i do share part of my own story so each chapter begins with like a little tiny vignette a memoir uh, a, a bit of memoir from my life and yes, I think it's important uh, for people to know that I have been through some of this on my own, that this isn't just some some something I've invented and tested out on subject matter, you know, on people, but I don't have any relationship with it. No, uh, a lot of what I've learned has come through my own suffering and my own self-study and my own um path of healing and through working with many, many, many clients on this particular topic. So yeah, I think it's important because it builds trust. It builds authority. It builds um, commiseration, you know, like I get you. And, and also that this topic, you know, Matt, it's so personal. It's so sensitive. It's so tender. And usually when people come to me for private coaching, it's because they feel that they could talk to me about some of their deepest, darkest stuff. Right. And that I am not going to sit in judgment of them or I am not going to make them feel unsafe in that conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is important. And and I think that the results that people have when they work with me is kind of a testament to, like, not only my method, but who I am and, and how I make people feel and how I help them have a different perspective on themselves, the world and what they want out of living here. Right. Being yeah. alive. Right. Well, that's part of, of, of just happiness, too. You, ha you have to understand what what because you're talking about happiness. I'll be happy when you have to really have an idea of what it is truly that will make you happy before yeah. you can even achieve that. Uh, the other question about the book is, has, have you got the reaction? And I, I, I bet you ha have at least once. But is it a, a fairly common reaction for uh, somebody who's read your book to think, wow, I thought I was the only one going through this. I don't know anymore. I, I think that I've been in my bubble for so long, quite okay. frankly, that, that I don't know anymore. Um, I think that, I think that also thanks to social media, you know, social media is causing problems, but there's a lot that we can be thankful for it. I think that thanks to social media, there's an awareness that's raised that you're not the only person suffering this by yourself. Right. And it, and so I think that there's more, uh, 
conversations about these sorts of challenges and problems than there used to be even five years ago. And I think that by the time a person picks up my book, they probably have been in these sorts of conversations for a while and have identified this problem as something that is impeding them from having the experience of being alive that they want and they're ready to solve the problem. So that I think is usually the point that someone picks up my book. I don't think anybody picks up my book. They're like, Oh, this looks interesting. Let me page through this. You know, <laughs> Yeah. you know what I would be interested in is um, whether this is a national regional worldwide uh, situation. In other words, uh, to, would would a woman in Africa be dealing with the same issues? Would a woman in Asia, would a woman in Europe, in different parts of Europe, be dealing with these same? Would people in different parts of America, uh, in rural America, be uh, faced with the same challenges of body image that somebody like you in New York City would be? Have you have you looked at any of that uh, regional, national, global <laughs> uh, perspective on this? I have not had funding to, uh, you know, to spearhead <laughs> that research project, but I think it'd be very interesting, and probably there is some data on that. The one, and it would I also help, would not, would it not? Because understanding how different cultures might approach this might give you some some uh, insight into how to deal with it, or or kind of um, as a society, not on a one on one level. So deal with yeah, that. and. And I have I have a, a few things to say just in general. One is I grew up in the Midwest. So although I, I've been in New York since 2004, I was born in Madison, Wisconsin. So I was, I'm a Midwesterner uh, at, at my, at my core, but also my father was Puerto Rican. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a funny Midwesterner. I'm like a Latina Midwesterner. And so, although I wasn't raised as a Latina, like there's that kind of in there. And I, so I don't know. I mean, my perspective is kind of Midwestern, kind of New York, but but I do see that that Americans are masters at import, at exporting culture around the world. That's true. And so I do think that because we are the primary exporters of culture, that we have also exported this particular problem. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Um, and. and- yeah, I have to say, I have uh, the website going across uh, the bottom of the screen, ericamather.com. I have to say, I, I see, because I do so many interviews, I see a lot of websites in, in preparing for guests. <laughs> I love your website. It's it's the most uh, refreshing, easy on the eyes, uh, because it's so clean and white and, and, and not the space to breathe uh it's the best website ever were you involved in the design of the website because it's exquisite i love it thank you so much i sure was i was the creative director for this but i also worked closely with my web designer whose name is chris wright and his uh his web design i'm just gonna give him a shout out as crown heights collective and uh, he's a great designer i provided all the photography and the site map design and he just executed my vision of it but yeah um, I wanted a lot of white space and yeah, so it could breathe. And also, I mean, because I think a website should evoke, my website is about selling you <laughs> a lifestyle right? and the life. And so it should, you should feel a certain way that you, that is pleasing to you when you, when you, uh, when you hit the website. Yeah, and definitely. It had a great effect on you. It, de- it absolutely did because, and I'm not sure that everybody would get that because I look at so many, I look at least three uh, interviews, uh, potential interview uh, websites every single day. I know. And so I see a lot of them and some, of, and I'm not putting anybody down, but so, none of them made me say, ah. <laughs> I'm so glad I could do that for you. <laughs> well, that, that's a testimonial for, for your website anyway. Um, so uh, are you an optimist for what we're talking about now? Because you deal with people on like individuals, but for a societal change on this, are you optimistic or are you uh, or a realist or a pessimist? Oh, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. Oh, it's so that's a, that, I would say that's a pessimistic attitude. If I, I if I look it up, I think it's too late would definitely qualify as pessimist. I'm a pessimist myself. I'm just surprised that you are because you seem 
like to be a very positive person and uh, somebody uh, who was hopeful. <laughs> I mean, I mean, now we're swinging very philo- philosophical, like, 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 I mean, but it's been too late for humans for forever, right? <laughs> we're our own worst en- enemy. So, but, but also like, does that mean that you just lay down and give up? No. So, I mean, we, moment to moment to moment to moment, we have a choice. And is it, are you going to stand in the light? Or are you going to stand in the dark? And, and I think that, that every day, as long as you're alive, you should get up and try to stand in the light and try to help people and try to solve the problems and try to make the world a better place. Does that mean that we're going to achieve it? Uh, debatable. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, this is something I wrestle with personally because I want to make a difference in the world. I want to leave the world. That, that's where I'm at at this point in my life is I want to leave a mark on the world that there, the world is somehow in some small measurable way a better place for me having been there. And when it doesn't feel like um, I'm accomplishing that in any way, making any difference at all, that's when I feel like so insignificant, like that whole idea of this is you, a little pinhead in the universe, and you actually mean nothing to anything. And that's that's a really dark and, and terrible way to feel about yourself i think so well you're an artist right so i you you like podcasting is a form of artistry i think podcasting is a form of saying i am here you know and 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 the reason that we want to we want to be the reason that artists create is because they want to know that i wasn't that my being here was not for nothing right Exactly. Right. And and I wrote a book in part because I want to know that my being here was not for nothing. That's the reason I do what I do, because there's so much suffering in the world. And 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 it's mostly just like what a waste, you know, like all that suffering. What a waste. If someone just decided that I'm fine the way I am, just woke up and was like, I'm fine the way I am. All the suffering that is generated from not being tall enough or thin enough or having enough hair, or having, you know, big biceps, whatever, all the suffering that's generated from that would just fall away. And then the world would be a better place and people would spend their time and their energy in more meaningful ways. The amount of time and energy that's wasted on insignificant crap is astonishing. Yeah. You know, I think for women, if they could possibly relate to, because uh, cause you, you said full head of hair a couple of times a year, and I'm going to uh, uh, share with you and as, as best I can the mentality that I went through. I realized I was going to be bald somewhere around 21. And I still had a full head of hair, but I realized it was thinning. And it was... Th- it was devastating. I did not want to do this. And it was like the end of my life. I was suicidal almost of, of, of uh, I can't be bald. My father was bald. I don't want to be bald. I don't, I don't want to be that. And at some point around my mid thirties, it's I started to look at all the positives I get from it and realized that some women still thought I was attractive and, and, and despite not having any hair and my, it was all in my head, the fact that I felt so ugly because I, I was bald. And at some point it became such a positive that now I feel bad for guys who have full head hair because they have so much more to deal with in life. And what if it's wrong and how much time do you have to spend on washing and drying it and all that stuff? You know what it takes me to do my head? It takes me 30 seconds. So soap it up, rinse it off, and dry it. That's it. So but I, I think if women could uh, gravitate to that idea about um, not being not beating yourself up too much about what other people are going to think about you. And it, it does wonders for your perspective on life. So I'll give you the final word on all this stuff. I love that anecdote. Thank you for sharing that anecdote. You know, I, I yeah, I've been mentioning full head of hair because, you know, I want to relate to the men and I, I know that hair is like a big issue for men, but I also have women in my life whose hair is are. Th- hair, hairs, hair is thinning and it it causes a lot of stress. And so, yeah, you know what? There's, there's a shoe that always fits, man. There's a shoe that always fits. Yeah. You know, you're fine the way you are. And if you just kind of like 
that's the yogic teaching actually is that everything that you're meant to be everything that you need it's all here now and you just need to uncover it and part right. of the uncovering process is putting down the thought that whatever you are is is wrong or unattractive or um undesirable it's fine Beautiful thought. Okay. One more time with the book. It's called Your Body, Your Best Friend by Erica Mather. You can get it at ericamather.com. Uh, the uh, tagline there is kind of small for me to read. I'm going to up my glasses. I can and, read it. Do you want me to go ahead? Yeah, please. Yeah. End the confidence crushing pursuit of unrealistic beauty standards and embrace your true power. Embrace your true power. I hope people will go to the website and check it out and, and, and read the book more, more so than just go to the website and check it out. And uh, I hope you make we make a difference. And I'm glad to have had you on. Thank you for, for this uh, conversation today. Matt, this was delightful. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Hardest working man in podcasting. And uh, <laughs> thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your listeners for, for tuning in and listening to the end and any part that they listen to. All thank right. you. All right. My my pleasure. Thank you. Come back again sometime in in the future. Please do. And, and okay. Bye for now. Be well. Bye for now. Erica Mather, folks, the book, uh, your your body, your best friend. Uh, check it out. EricaMather.com. Love to hear your questions and comments on it. Info at MindDogTV.com. Info at MindDogTV.com. Uh, don't have a show tonight. Uh, preparing for the marathon next week. Next week we're doing a marathon. Going for the Guinness Book world record for longest uh continuous podcast live stream from 9 a.m thursday january 20th to midnight uh on friday january 21st into the 22nd that midnight i'm not sure whether we call that the 22nd or the 21st i think that's officially the 22nd anyway midnight at the end of the <laughs> friday the 21st 40 hours we're shooting for continuous uh, podcast. So we'll be preparing for that. Got a lot to do with that. It, that's a fundraiser uh, of sorts to uh, ra help raise money for our friend Andy, who's uh, got pancreatic cancer and uh, is having a procedure uh, the Whipple procedure, which is a complicated procedure going under the knife that day. We'll be uh, looking to raise money for his aftercare. And I uh, hope you'll um, be part of that. Uh, so we don't have a show tonight. We're taking care of that. And now tomorrow afternoon, I'll be with you for coffee with the dog at 9 a.m. tomorrow, 9 to 11. And then tomorrow evening, Liberty DeVito, the drummer from uh, Billy Joel Band, uh, rock legend drummer, will be with me at 8 p.m. tomorrow night. So until then, I'm Matt Napple for the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Bye for now.
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 